welcome back to Sick Enough. I'm Tyler. I'm Dave. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about things that aren't really hospital problems, but in a hospitalist has to fix frequently anyway. <laughs> Just a quick disclaimer, this show is not medical advice. Although Dave and I are real doctors, we are not your real doctor, and you should not take anything here as medical advice. If you're having a medical emergency or you think you might be having one, you should not be listening to this. You should call 911. Further, we are not trained or qualified to comment on pediatric care. We specialize in adults only. So yes, this show is called Sick Enough, and it's about the diseases and the people who are sick enough to be in hospitals. But I came up with a list of seven different issues, which are not really things that put you in the hospital, but nonetheless, we work with them all the time anyway. I'm just going to run the list real quick, and then we'll go through each one separately. Orthostasis, mm -hmm. which we've kind of already talked about in our sync episode. Bit about, yeah. Constipation, hyperglycemia, mm -hmm. newly found cancer, although that one has an asterisk, and I'll explain why. Yeah. Alcohol withdrawal or detoxification, pain management. We're not going to get too far into this one because our very next episode is strictly about pain and pain mm -hmm. management. So this one we'll just kind of mention and move on. And then lastly is placement. I would say yeah, I, if I was going to add anything to the list, I would just say social issues in general, which would include placement. Yes, so. let's do that. Let's say we'll call the last category social issues and then placement will be under the umbrella. Yeah. I think that's a, that's fair. So we'll just kind of go through each of these topics one by one. I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about mm -hmm. them because, again, this isn't really hospital medicine. So we'll just kind of make this a hodgepodge episode. I think it's good to explain why you think it's not. Yeah. Not appropriate for the hospital. So the first one, orthostasis. That is the medical term for if you sit up or stand up too quickly, your blood pressure drops and you feel lightheaded. In our prior episode about syncope, and I think a little bit in our stroke episode too, mm -hmm. we talked this is extremely common presentation. We see this all the time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't usually have much hospital action. It's usually an issue of if they're on some blood pressure medication at home, stop that blood pressure medication. Yeah. Or if they're, if they're dehydrated. Right. If they're dehydrated, give them some fluids. Yeah. Or if... Sometimes if you're septic, that can be a cause, but that, yeah. you know, but that I, I would say sepsis would then sort of trump the, the orthostasis. You if know? we're getting into some zebras here, you know, we can talk about like mineral steroid deficiencies and things like that leading to orthostasis, mm -hmm. but I don't, I, that's not really what this episode is about. I'm just talking they, about, yeah, I was going to say there are medications that can cause it. Yeah. Um, and we sometimes will wind up having to like stop those medicines when someone's in the hospital and to try and figure out which one it is. But again, that's not really what the hospital's for. And that certainly could be accomplished in the outpatient setting. Yeah. In, in our episode about syncope, we said this is nine times out of 10, this is just dehydration. Mm -hmm. And most orthostasis is just that dehydration. We'd give them some fluids and it fixes the problem. It fixes the fact that one, their blood pressure drops and two, they get dizzy when they stand up. And there's some patients like Parkinson's patients who are going to be orthostatic no matter what. Right. And nothing we do is going to change that. So what frustrates me is when either the ER calls me because they want to admit this patient for, oh, their orthostatics are positive. They need to be admitted. Or on the flip side, I'm getting ready to discharge a patient and mm -hmm. the nurse or the physical therapist will call me and say, oh, it's an unsafe discharge because the orthostatics are positive. Now, hold on. Not all that is orthostatic is an unsafe discharge. And I find that a lot of people do orthostatics incorrectly. They'll, right. they'll make some. So the way you're typically supposed to do orthostatic blood pressures is you check a blood pressure laying down, and then you can check one when they're sitting, but you know, eventually you have them stand up. And then you're supposed to wait at least 30 seconds, if not a minute, to give that person time to equilibrate before you sort of check the, the next blood pressure. And there's no way they do that in the ER. No way. Not even close. 
No, they have them stand up and they check it immediately. <laughs> if you did that to me, I would be worth right. the static. And, and that's that, that's exactly my point. I mean, if if I go for a four mile run and follow that with an ice cold shower for the rest of the night, I'm at risk of being orthostatic. If I stand up too quickly, that doesn't mean somebody has to call 911 and take me to the emergency room. It just means I have to, mm-hmm. I've got the wherewithal to be careful and not stand up too quick and drink some extra fluids. And so that wherewithal is kind of the over under, you know, when the ER is telling me this orthostatic patient has to be admitted or when the nurse is flagging this orthostatic patient as an unsafe discharge, I'll just ask them like, why can't we just tell them to go home, drink some fluids and take it easy today? Mm-hmm. Some patients, the 82 year old with osteoporosis who lives alone and forgets to take their pills. <laughs> I get it. All right. Maybe we should fix the orthostasis before they go. So they don't fall and break a hip. Their bones are going to turn into dust when they hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then, I mean, I've, I've had like, you know, a 51 year old here cause he, he tuckered himself out of the gym and mm-hmm. his workup was negative and I'm trying to discharge him and everyone says, oh, he's orthostatic. He can't go. And I'm like, just he can drink some Gatorade on his way home. Yeah. That, that He doesn't need to stay in the hospital for this. The other thing, you know, you, what you could do is you could always see them in the ER, check blood pressures there yourself. Oh, you could yeah. check him with a manual cuff if you really wanted to. And then and then basically say he's cured. <laughs> yeah, I, I that that would be one thing as well. I don't know. So that I'd, I feel like we've covered that one you think we covered yeah. that one yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. for or, for non-hospital problems that's about as deep as we need to get i think so the next one on the list is constipation it always presents like this the er calls me hey tyler i want to admit this guy he's got this intractable nausea and vomiting he hasn't kept any food down for three days yeah, 10 out of 10 abdominal 10 pain. out of 10 abdominal pain and the cat scan's negative i can't figure <laughs> out what it is and so every time i ask the er doctor when was the last time they pooped? And the ER, ER doctor says, oh, uh, May of 2019. Yeah. Okay, that's why they're having the intractable nausea yeah. vomiting. This is just constipation. And you can pull up the images, like pull up the CT scan, and you can see like a colon yeah. full of just, just full of stool. A lot of time in hospitals, radiologists won't comment on constipation because yeah. constipation is kind of like a, you know, a chronic finding. Yeah. So it, it's sort of it a just, given. Like, right. The, the radiologist is going to call it a negative CAT scan. Yeah. But there actually was constipation on the CAT scan. He just didn't feel like mm-hmm. calling it. And so like, right, like you just said, you yeah. can pull up the scan. And when you see the colon is the size of a football. Yeah. That's because the radiologist doesn't think it's a reason for hospitalization. Yeah, so. exactly. The radiologist agrees. And so I'll just tell the ER, have you thought about giving them a bowel regimen and send them home? Mm-hmm. It frustrates me because I get it. I know the bowel regimens can take 8, 12 hours to kick in. And the ER is concerned about that clock on the wall. Mm-hmm. And if the patient can't keep food down anyway, it's kind of hard to let them go. So it's like I, I will never like I'll never ever say that constipation is a hospital problem. But when I have one in front of me like that. I'll agree it's kind of hard to send them home. But we could give them a bowel prep. We could give them an enema. Right. You could disimpact them. Obviously, nobody wants to do right. that. But It's usually not a long hospitalization. No. I just I just throw the kitchen sink at them. The next day, they fill the toilet and they leave. <laughs> usually, they, they tell you how awful their pain is. And I believe them. Right. Constipation causes a horrible amount of pain. But then, yeah, like you said, you throw the kitchen sink at them. You give them a bowel prep. And they're, you know, and they'll be very dubious. They're like, this is not what's going on. First, they're going to, my hate pain you. is from something else. And then lo and behold, their abdominal pain goes away once they, right. once they poop their brains out. At and first they hate me and then I'm their best friend. Exactly. What's your go-to? Uh, I would say, uh, so bowel prep. Well, just if you had one, if you're, if you only get one laxative to order or softener or whatever, what are you going to order? Ooh, I do mag citrate. Call. I do, I, I do would, magnesium citrate. 
they call it the green grenade because it comes in a green <laughs> grenade shaped bottle and it blows up your enzymes. I was going to say lactulose because I've never not had lactulose work. I feel but, like I've never not had magnesium citrate work, but, but lactulose know. can cause a lot of cramping too. And so that's not the kindest thing yeah. to use. When my friends or family call me and ask me, I recommend magnesium citrate. Yeah. I've got a theory here and I don't know if you might agree or disagree with me. But I have a theory, and I've had surgeons confirm, Mm -hmm. I have a suspicion that about 5% of gallbladder surgeries are inappropriately done because here's what happens. Patient comes to the the ER with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting. Mm -hmm. We do the CAT scan, and the CAT scan doesn't clearly find acute problem, but the radiologist Mm -hmm. mentions there might be some... Looks like there's a gallstone. Maybe a gallstone or some swelling Mm -hmm. or schmud in the right upper quadrant. And so the ER doctor, in their hurry to get the patient out of the ER as quick as possible, calls a surgeon. Mm Mm-hmm. The surgeon comes in and takes out the patient's gallbladder, and guess what? The pain doesn't go away because the patient is constipated more now than they were when they came in. <laughs> and I, I have this, I have this theory that at some point in our life we're going to do a study on this and find that f- two to five percent of gallbladder surgeries are inappropriately done, and it should have been constipation. Well, one of the reasons why they do gallbladder surgery—it's rare these days that I see them doing it, doing gallbladder surgeries kind of emergently, because usually they're saying like, "No, give them antibiotics for two weeks, let it calm down, and mm. then we'll." Then we'll revisit it, and and they'll do elective gallbladder surgery. But yeah. I also seen seeing it done a lot in people who are more like sort of at risk of gallbladder problems. People who've had like vague right upper quadrant pain for a yeah. long period of time, nothing's really fixed it. And I think the surgeons are like, I'm just tired of seeing you. I'm going to take your gallbladder out, <laughs> and then you won't have a reason to come back to see me. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, point I'm trying to make is a lot of hospitalizations could be prevented if people just ate fiber yeah or just stayed on top of their bowels and took a laxative if they the first sign that they were starting to get kind of backed up yeah so next on my list well are we done with constipation Mm -hmm. all right next on my list is hyperglycemia now i know there are lots of reasons for let's say someone checks in the er and their sugar is 450 500 600 who cares well yeah, there Unless, are there, there are reasons that needs to come admitting for example if they're in a situation called diabetic ketoacidosis which would be a good episode yeah it would be so but the problem with that wouldn't be the hyperglycemia the problem would be the dka the acidosis right exactly yeah so if if they're you're right the hyperglycemia is a clue of the dka that needs to come in Sometimes their hyperglycemia is a clue. There is another reactive process going on in the yeah, body because let's like not it could forget be sepsis or right. an infection. Glucose is an acute favor, acute phase reactant. So if there is an infection going on, it can shoot up the sugars. Yeah. That might need investigated. Yeah, or they could be really dehydrated because their body's just sucked up all the fluids into their their vas- or out of their vasculature. Or they could have run out of their insulin, or they could have eaten birthday cake, right. or. That's usually what it is. And so the <laughs> ER doctor calls me, well, they're not having any pain. Their blood's good. They're not septic. They're not dehydrated, but their sugar's 600. So they need to come in. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, have you tried giving nope. some insulin? Yeah. Because we can, all I'm going to do is order some insulin, which you can do and they can do at home. So why yeah. does this need to get admitted? And, and it's, it's, it's a frustrating, I, I mean, it, the similar discussion is the, the orthostasis. I've, I've had nurses flag unsafe discharge because, you know, I'm sending some out of their sugar of 302. You guys, sugar 302, we can fix that at home. You know, we can yeah. fix that in the clinic. If the hyperglycemia is a clue, there's something else going on. Let's talk about it. But if all we have is yeah. hyperglycemia, guys, this doesn't have to be in the hospital. I would say, so you're exactly right. Exceptions to that would be DKA. And then there is that non-ketotic hyperosmolar hyperglycemia. But yeah. that's like, that gets forgotten. That's like about. glucose is over a thousand. Yeah. Like that's staggeringly high. Glucoses. And they're like comatose sometimes. Yeah. 
So. I, another ingredient to this too, though, we should probably talk about is if I've got two patients whose sugars are 400 or 500 and one of them needs to go home and one of them needs to stay, the one who needs to stay could be like, let's say they're, you know, 82 years old and live alone and they ran out of their supplies and can't drive mm-hmm. to the pharmacy. Okay. Again, we kind of, that almost like a social thing, but that's not one I'm going to fight as hard to send home. Mm-hmm. If we, if it's a 31 year old who's already got their glucometer and their testing strip and their insulin at home and they just forgot mm-hmm. to take it for three days. Yeah. There's no reason to get out of the hospital. Like, no, we don't admit them because they forgot to take their insulin for three days. Yeah. You just remind them to take their insulin. Have maybe, them set an alarm maybe on their give phone. them a bigger dose here in the hospital right. to kind of get, get a head start. But yeah, I get frustrated with that one. Although that hasn't happened. This, the current job where I work now, that happens a lot less than at my older job. I think this ER is a little more keen to send that one home. But. They, well, they ought to be because, you know, <laughs> we yell at yeah. them if they don't. Right. <laughs> but. Anything we can talk about with hyperglycemia? Yeah. yeah. All right. Next up, newly found cancer. This one, I'm going to be a little more this delicate. This a little controversial. Yeah. I'm going to be delicate here because the first three we've talked about, hyperglycemia, constipation, orthostasis, I get frustrated that ER mm-hmm. trying to admit it. This one, I don't get frustrated. Yeah. Classic presentation of I've got a 53-year-old who hasn't seen a doctor in 26 years but smokes two packs a day. Yeah. Comes to the ER with chest pain. The ER does a CAT scan, and we find a bowling ball-sized tumor in their lung. We see this all the time. Yeah. I just say it. I think that person should get an outpatient workup. Cancer is an outpatient workup. It is. It, it, it is, and it will always be an outpatient workup. But – I put myself in the patient's position there. Mm-hmm. If I'm sitting there waiting on the CAT scan result, waiting on the CAT scan result, waiting on the CAT scan result. Finally, after two hours, the ER doctor comes back and says, oh, yeah, you got a football-sized tumor in your lung. Why don't you call this doctor next week? See you later. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep for two weeks. Yeah. And and so I, it's 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 a... I, I feel exactly the same. I'm, I'm way more understanding about that one. It, it's one thing if, like, if the patient's well-funded and well-resourced and their next-door neighbor is an oncologist, mm-hmm. okay, you can probably send that one out from the ER. But if not, like if they have no money, no insurance, then I'll, I'll, I'll at least keep them off from a biopsy. Yeah. If they, I'm, I'm, I do exactly the same. If they want to come into the hospital and get this sort of, get an expedited yeah. sort of workup, then that's what I'll do. And, yeah. you know, I'll at least get the biopsy, at least be able to tell them what they have, maybe give them some kind of preliminary prognosis and right. kind of expectations. And then, and ultimately they really need to see a specialist, a specialty oncologist, someone, an oncologist who knows how to treat their type of cancer. And that person is going to be the one who gives them kind of the real rundown. The but, hospital is a place for if, you know, things that are going to kill you in a couple of days. Yeah. Cancer is not going to kill you in a couple of days. So cancer. Most of the time. Well, most of the time. Most, nine, of, the time. Yeah, most <laughs> of the time. But so, so the hospital is not a place for cancer, but it, like you can't use that C word on somebody. Or the T word and then just tell them good luck. So I yeah. typically when I get this, well, like you just said, for one, I'll ask them, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Yeah. Nine times out of 10, they want to stay. So I'll get them a biopsy. I'll just mm-hmm. find the biggest node or the biggest nodule and I'll you know, have IR stick a needle in and get some tissue there. Yeah. But at that point, we're kind of out of hospital medicine because that biopsy result can take a week to come back. Well, and one thing to kind of keep in mind is depending on what tumor they have, sometimes biopsies are not. Not always Sometimes the right it's not approach. even an option, yeah. Um, I mean, think about it. There are certain tumors when that, and I'm trying to think of what one off the top of my head, but there are certain ones where if you biopsy them, you Make run the risk of leaving like yeah. leaving like a trail of of tumor kind of in the, uh, of tumor cells in like the biopsy tract that could. I don't remember that one. I want to say that's like one of the renal cancers. Yeah. But Alex is nodding his head, so. 
Our sound engineer is nodding. <laughs> yeah, I've, no, some I've are better just taken yet. out in block and, and so. But so yeah. Anyway, it's like I, I usually I, I'll usually let the patient dictate how long they want to stay there. But mm-hmm. please understand, like cancer has a lot of waiting. We have to wait for it the does. pathology. We have to wait for the results. And the hospital it's is not like a place for waiting. Wait. Yeah. If we're waiting two weeks for this result, you need to be at home, not in the hospital. Yeah, and that's better for you to do that. So I don't know. It, it's, it's an outpatient workup, but my heart goes out to that one. If that yeah. makes, that's the one on this list that like I open my heart to, if that makes sense. And there are a handful of cancers that actually do where you do have to do acute inpatient workups. It tends to be more like blood disorders and blood, you know, what I think yeah. of as blood cancers, but those definitely warrant an inpatient workup because there is some kind of some urgent treatment that often has to be done. But you know, for like the example you gave a guy who comes in with a big lung mass that's not something that we have to treat or have to work up as an inpatient. Yeah, but you're kind um, of a grinch. I hate to leave. Exactly. I hate to send, I hate to tell somebody looks like you got cancer. Someone's going to see you in a month. You know, who knows what this is going to do in the meantime. Yeah. And, and then if they lose their insurance that month, yeah, then what? Like exactly. So I at least get them connected and get them a biopsy. Same. So, so are we done with cancer? I think so. Next topic, alcohol, kind of an umbrella topic for any kind of withdrawal or detox. But yeah. Alcohol is the big alcohol one. in particular because yeah. people who do withdraw from alcohol, it it can be life threatening, and you can have seizures that wind up killing you. I mean, it, right. DTs can be deadly, but but these people are going to keep drinking. Exactly. Um, I would say the times where I will be okay about bringing someone in to detox them is if they are saying, "I need help. I want to go to a to a rehab center." Can you please help me and get me detoxed? I'm right there with you. 99% of the time, they don't want to go to rehab. Someone is forcing them to go to rehab and the patient's just going along with it and they're going to sign out just as soon as they get there. So it's a waste of time to admit them. It is a waste of time. And people who are undergoing withdrawal will have to stay under observation for what, two weeks? Or we'll have to monitor them for sometimes, sometimes it's just a couple days, but it can be as much as two weeks. And that's a really long hospitalization and it can be dangerous to force someone to go through withdrawal who would, who is going to just go back out and keep drinking yeah, anyway. Like if they are just for our, our listeners here, there's only one type of withdrawal that kills you and it's alcohol withdrawal or I think oh, benzos. benzos yeah. Benzos, same. It's the same mechanism. Same mechanism exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Any other withdrawal, you can ride the bull and you'll be fine. But it, the only time withdrawal could kill you is if it's alcohol slash benzos and so mm-hmm. that's why we're talking about it right now and that's why the er will call me oh yeah i got this guy who drinks a pint of liquor a day but then uh he's been passed out in the street for two days so they brought him here and since he hasn't had any alcohol in two days we need he's to bring him in for withdrawal yeah. and then i'll tell the er no you get him directions in the nearest liquor store and send him home yeah it's much better for him if he goes home and keeps drinking yeah. as under the assumption he's not going to quit yeah. Like like you said, the 1% of the patients who say, oh, I've seen the light, I've seen the way, and I, yeah. I want to get better. It's rare, but it happens. And I'll be a little more forgiving to them. But most of these patients, it's like the ER checked them for seven other things and couldn't find a reason to admission. So yeah. they called me to call an alcohol. No, we don't admit for alcohol withdrawal. No. Well, not if we've induced it. So well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if a patient's going through it because they're really trying to get off alcohol, that's one thing. But most of these patients would so much rather be out drinking they just have they just happen to sober up in the ER and start having withdrawal symptoms and someone is getting in their way to keep in keeping them from walking out. So. Yeah. Were you working the day I was on the phone with that patient's husband? 
Okay, this I think is, many days. I've been there. I've been on the phone with this. a patient's husband. Relating specifically to this, I had this was a kind of a funny story. We were charting. It was like two or three in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. I had this patient who'd been there for about two days. They were they were heavy, heavy, heavy drinker, mm-hmm. and they'd been there for about two days for you know some nonspecific. It was like an orthostasis kind of admission, but mm-hmm. neurology had ordered some tests, so I couldn't discharge him for two days. So in the middle of the second or third day, I was getting ready to discharge him, and she starts to go through withdrawal. Yeah, perfect timing. She was going crazy. She's walking around she's screaming and so then now i got the patient's family asking like i've never seen her do this is she safe to go home and i was on the phone with the patient's family in the in, in our office yeah. and well yeah if you just want to make sure she starts drinking as soon as she can as soon as she gets home <laughs> and like the office started laughing they were like what, what is tyler saying and the, the patient's husband on the phone was like i can't believe i'm hearing my doctor tell him Tell my me. wife to start drinking again. Yeah. And then he was like, well, we're out of liquor. And I literally said, you could run by the liquor store on the way to pick her up. <laughs> and But then it turned into... Yeah. Story aside, he refused to come get her, so we just had to DT her here. Well, and, and that's the... and that's See, and that's, that's where it gets dangerous because right. that's somebody who's going to go home and keep drinking. You're not changing their outcome. We're not changing you're anything. Not, you're not changing their long out, long-term outcome. You're making her go through DTs in the hospital... And which is dangerous. That's what kills you. Which is dangerous. Exactly. Even though we're there monitoring things, we don't get it right all the time. And people can still have seizures. People can yeah. still have bad outcomes from the DTs. And it's kind of unethical to make someone go through that. Yeah. When they're when when you're not when they're not going to change their behavior. Right. So. So. Moving on to the last topic. Sure. Let's save pain management for Dave's upcoming episode. The last topic for the, this episode is. Social issues. The big one I'd say is placement. All the freaking time, we'll have someone. Oh my, we're out of town. Year, well, out of town <laughs> one, but the the most classic one is I got an eighty two year old mom just can't care for her at home anymore. They bring in the ER and say you got to place her. Yeah, that's not really what hospitals are for. I mean, there are there is MTALA violations which which bind mm-hmm. us into giving them a workup, and then there's this whole unsafe discharge thing that gets brought up ad infinitum. But that's that's not what hospitals are for. You should be calling your primary care doctor. You should be calling your social worker, your insurance company. So my family is actually going through something along these lines. And right now, because there's such a huge shortage of beds in our city, we're being told that's really the only way that we can get one of our family members admitted to a skilled nursing well, facility. I didn't know that. And so all these families are kind of learning like, well, if I want to get Meemaw admitted to a skilled nursing facility, I got to cook up a reason to get her into the hospital. And then, then it's on them to get her there. And, and of course the hospital is having just as much trouble getting people placed. But from what I'm told, the only people who are going to skilled nursing facilities these days are hospital patients and they, they kind of take priority. Bad sign for the future of medicine. I I would say it's kind of a failure of our social system and our medical system as a whole, but but I think, you know, we are mentioning how there are other social issues kind of in that spectrum. Yeah. Um, I think we see a lot of homeless people who just they want to get get out of the, the heat or get out of the cold and they want um, some sandwiches. Yeah. Are they they're hungry or they need a place just to sleep, uh, a safe place to sleep. And again, rather than go to a shelter, which not all shelters are all that safe, but they'll just they'll cook up a reason to come into the hospital and. You know, they'll come in and say, I'm depressed and suicidal. I have chest pain. Yeah, I have chest pain. Feels like a heart attack. Yeah. And then every day it's kind of like a game of can they come up with a reason to stay? Yeah. And and I'll be honest, a lot of times I don't push that hard with those with those guys because most of the time they're nice. Most of the time yeah. they're just thankful and and they're usually pretty easy and straightforward. And yeah. I, I think that's horrible, but 
you know, when, when it's a busy day and someone's nice and says, can I stay one more night? I, you know, I don't really have a great situation when I leave here. You know, if, a if day they're nice, fine. I'm a lot, yeah. you know, I'm a lot more understanding. With those patients, I do check with the nurses. I like, look, is he making your job easy? Yeah. Or is he making your job difficult? Yeah. Nine that, times out of 10. Nurses like, are my coworkers. Yeah. You know? Nine so. times out of 10, I hear, oh no, he's been an angel. He's been my easiest yeah. patient all day. And which, which usually, yeah, that's where I'm saying like, okay, no big deal. You know, but, if I said the term pop drop, you know what that means? Yeah. I was going to mention that one. So. <laughs> on, on holiday weekends, you know what positive suitcase sign is? <laughs> you, you take over, you take over. So uh, whenever you, whenever this always happens that someone will bring their demented, you know, grandparent or, you know, their demented parent into the emergency room and they'll say, he's confused or, or something. Yeah. Or I think he's got a UTI. <laughs> And then that family member will just like vanish. <laughs> and meanwhile, there'll be like a bag that they've left behind and, you know, and you'll try to call the family member to get details about what's happened. They won't be reachable. You'll, you'll find a receipt for an airplane ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and meanwhile, they've just essentially dropped their loved one off at the hospital for, for what amounts to childcare or we'll be back on Tuesday to get them. Yeah. They'll drop, they'll drop mom and dad off on Friday and say, well, we'll be back to get on Tuesday. Yeah. And then like a week later they materialize and they're like, Oh, pop pops better. Oh, great. Well, we'll take him home now. Thank (laughs) you so much. It's it's frustrating. We call it a pop drop. Yeah. There's not a lot we can do except for just flag that, just flag it as we think it is. And then that's it. Like inappropriate admission. But the ER will call and be like, sorry, got a bad one for you. Yeah. Or got got one for you that we just can't find the family to come take him home. And it's like, come on. Like if there was some place that those patients went that was not so positive, I I think that would stop being a a thing. So. So I think that's all I had for this episode of not hospital problems that become (laughs) hospital problems. Thank, I'd like to thank all our listeners. I'd like to thank uh, our sound engineer. I'd like to thank Swede Custom Studios and Two Birds Artwork for collaborating on the thumbnail. If you'd like to send us any questions or comments or be featured on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at sickenoughpodcast, S-I-C-K-E-N-O-U-G-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And I'd like to thank Michael Coburn and Pixabay.com for our, for our intro music. All right, see you next time.